Good morning. It's uh, day 107 of these revival talks. Um, probably, you know, we could go to 500. I don't know. Um, still trying to figure that part out. But as long as I'm still doing this and this is what I'm going to do, and I'll figure out something along the way. You know, because really I'm trying to just listen to the Holy Spirit and, um, you know, live an unscripted life, which means we're not really invested in our outcomes were invested in this person called Jesus that we trust and we trust that what that he loves us enough to move heaven and earth to bring us into our place of our destiny and to be seated in the place where we are actually doing the very thing that we were made for so it's believing that um, but I was thinking a little bit about um, yesterday about this whole thing of religion because it's something I spin on a lot because it seems like, you know, 99.977% of Christendom is, lacks the encounter part of the gospel. The proclamation is there, but the demonstration is missing. And so what you end up with is this cerebral Christianity that um, basically reduces the Bible to a self-help book and us to um, learn how to behave. And that's what most of religion is about, is like keeping everybody in order. And, but there's also some other things about it. I want to read a passage from Galatians 3, from the Phillips translation. He says, <laughs> I love the opening. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, who saw Jesus Christ, the crucified, so plainly, who has been casting a spell over you? I will ask you one simple question. Did you receive the Spirit of God by trying to keep the law? or by believing the message of the gospel, <laughs> right? He says, surely you can't be so idiotic as to think that a man begins his spiritual life in the spirit and then completes it by reverting to outward observances. How many of us have been in that boat? We started off like enamored with Holy Spirit, like totally immersed, you know? I remember when I was, um, my first introduction to the Holy Spirit was like, um, I was 18 years old, living in Miami, Florida, and I went down to Kendall um, because there was a meeting down there, and I'd heard about Benny Hinn. So I went down there, <laughs> and I was basically standing in the back, and I watched rows of people just fall out without him touching any of them, and I was like, wow, that's, I want that, right? It was just so powerful to see the Holy Spirit just working. It's like a lot of us, we start in one place, but then we cave to religion as it is kind of built around us everywhere. You know, you come into a church, you come into a place that has a lot of rules and a lot of religion and this independent kind of living apart from God. And that's the thing that gets kind of highlighted. It's often very subtle. It's not always overt. Let me finish this verse. He says, so um, surely it can't, you can't be so idiotic as to think that a man begins his spiritual life in the spirit and then completely it completes it by reverting to outward observances. Has all your painful experience brought you nowhere? I simply cannot believe it, <laughs> right? Does God who gives the spirit and works miracles among you do these things because you've obeyed the law or because you believe the gospel? Ask yourselves that. I think that was powerful. Um, I love what he talks when he says talking to the Galatians because that was their problem. 
You know, you always had Judaizers, you had people in that at that time coming in and wanting to bring people back into the law. And you see Paul, you know, Peter, and kind of addressing this along the way, but like, you know, particularly with Peter's vision of what's clean and not clean. And, but there was always a group of people around that wanted to manage this thing. And it's, it's really, I mean, it's part of the big thing that happened in the garden. You know, Adam and Eve, when they partook of the fruit, because they thought that they were inadequate, that they thought they weren't enough, that they wanted to be, they wanted to be all powerful. They wanted to be like, you know, not God, but like him, but like be in his spot pretty much in a lot of ways. They, they, they believe the, the shame lie that says you're not enough. And the enemy just had to provoke their insecurity in the garden. Did God say? Did God really say? So in provoking their insecurity, he promotes a lie. The lie becomes something that they live out. But honestly, they had everything, but their attempt was to live independently from God. And that's exactly what religion does. Religion is my attempt to live independent from God because there's always some way that I can make it work. And so we have a lot of language in the church that really centers around all of the ways that we strive. Some of them are more holy than others, you know, so to speak, and they sound much more spiritual. But if Jesus died once and for all and the heavens were opened, when he was baptized and his father spoke over him, when he was baptized by John the Baptist and the heavens were open, I don't think they've ever closed. If the Holy Spirit in Genesis was hovering over the planet, I don't think he stopped hovering over the planet. I think he's still hovering over the planet. I think what becomes um, interesting for us is that part of the lie that is embedded in this separate, you know, live, being separate in that sense or living independently from God is this idea that we can actually, um, we can actually become something more if we did all the right things. We could have more access to heaven. We could have more access to everything. We've always had access. That's the issue. We've had access to everything in heaven. We are born to walk in a dual citizenship of heaven and earth and to walk in places where that line is very blurry. You cannot live an unscripted life in holy chaos of revival and still be walking by by religion, by trying to live apart. I mean, it's it's everything about the nature of what man is in his fallen condition is that he wants to live apart from God. And so that means that there are like multiple levels of striving. You know, there's brass heavens, there's, you know, your prayers up being answered because of this, because of that. Like we have a lot of language in the church to describe all the ways that we have to fight to get more, fight to get more. We're going to beat down our flesh and we're going to fight to get more. I don't think the gospel is that complicated. I think it's much more simple. And I think the part that we have lost in most places in Christendom is what our union really means. If God is inside of me and intertwined into every part of me and the fullness of the kingdom of heaven is, is in me, we like that language when we talk about habitation, right? We like that language of 
the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom of God being inside of us when, you know, when we're, um, we like that language when we're, you know, trying to see what we, who we are and as a revivalist or as a habitation of Holy Spirit. But we don't like that language when it comes to actually being free from, <laughs> pardon me, let me get my lights like I always do. I love things that are programmed to go off and back on. Hallelujah. Um, hope you all enjoyed that view of my molars in the back. I think I need a cap on one of those tooth. If you all saw something, let me know. Um, but anyway, you know, if we understood what union was, that the fullness of the kingdom, I would not be looking to another to give me something. I remember one time, um, I, my best friend, you know, I asked him to pray for me and to release more of his like anointing that was on him to pray for me. And he started and then the Holy Spirit stopped them. And he said, why am I praying to give you what's on me when you've already got your own? And <laughs> I was like, that makes a lot of sense. But we've set up a system whereby we have to always go to someone else. I'm not talking about us fellowshipping. That's great. But we, we look to another. If we can't do the work ourselves, we can try to get somebody else to help us do the work. And so it always, it's always striving. We're always, it's always striving and striving and striving. And in Psalm 46, I love this in the Passion Version, verse 10, he says, Surrender your anxiety. Be silent and stop your striving. And you will see that I am God. I am the God above the nations and I will be exalted through the whole earth. I want to read it one more time. <laughs> Surrender your anxiety. Pause. We have an investment in different things sometimes. And sometimes we have an investment even in our own anxiety. Because if we come from places of trauma, right? Most of us have had a few things happen along the way. In trauma, we, we basically are overwhelmed. We, it produces great stress and anxiety. And, but many of us, because we've been through multiple traumatic places, have found life in the drama of trauma, right? So we, we get a lot of mileage out of our anxiety. And it's like, um, I think he's got asking us just to lay it down. Like my anxiety, and I can wait Paul uh, Hogan, David Hogan says this, Paul, talking about Paul and Hogan, is essentially, um, how's that been working for you? How has managing yourself and trying to become like God in your own flesh been working for you? Like, how has that been? And so most of the time, we realize that every attempt that we make, you know, if I had to really think about what sin was, I would define sin as my attempt to live apart from God in every place that I tried to be independent. And if that means I'm trying to manage my anxiety through this, if that means that I'm into an addiction, if that means that I am building my own kingdom here on the planet, even if it means that I'm not a habitation or somebody who's prophetically driven and revelation driven and intercessory prayer driven, even in those things, it's like, if I'm not those, um, all of those are great things, but they can all be forms of striving. And um, 
I think we really like that idea of us trying to find life apart from God. And I think that's what I would label sin as. It's all the ways that we go and the things that we go to to live life apart from God. The prophetic intercessory part has to do with us being able to see what God is doing, to see into the unseen real, and to, and to literally participate with, he, with heaven on earth with what is unseen. That's the way we're supposed to function. We're supposed to function from revelation, not works. Revelation is what drives the bus of living an unscripted life. Revelation from heaven and the word drives the bus of living in an era of continuous revival and holy chaos, where if we're not tuned in with our ears and we're not listening and we're not, you know, taking advantage of our dual citizenship, we're in heaven and earth at the same time. If we're not doing that, then we're living in a place of trying to be independent. And here's one of the things that I feel like God's really wanting to unleash. Um, he gave me that little phrase yesterday. Religion is an attempt to live independently from God. And I think we're living in the, the reason we have to get religion out of our picture is because we're living in that holy chaos place, right? We're living in that, um, that place where um, we have to be able to function and flow. Thank you. Lights on, lights off. Um, right. We have to be able to live in a place of being responsive to Holy Spirit. And most of us, I know for myself, I probably have a, so much more to, to do, or not do, wrong word, but to think about and figure out about what that really looks like for me. Because everything we do, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Everything outside of that really becomes an avenue that becomes sin. Whether it's my chronic worry, whether it's my chronic addiction, it doesn't matter. When we leave the house of peace and love, and we leave the house of security, and we leave the Father's house through any other way of trying to make something happen or to build something. You know, I remember a, a friend, I heard recently somebody saying this. Um, he made the comment that, he was so surprised about how America was able to build so much without the Holy Spirit, because that's what we've done really well. We've built cerebral edifices to the sky where we come in and it's just all about what's in my head. And then we try to get everybody to behave. We think that's kind of cool. But the truth is holiness isn't the prop, isn't the process of something that's exterior that gets put on me. Holiness is the product of transformation. It's a product of our union. And really, it's a product of actually knowing who we are in our union with Christ. If we know who we are, we are already holy and righteous, right? All we're doing is stepping into the very thing that we know is true. As we, our hearts become aligned with the truth of the gospel, we are free. If not, the further away we go, the more anxiety and striving that we have. Here's what he says in Isaiah. I have to look up the reference. He says, if you want to walk by the light of your own fire, then this is what you're going to have. You will lie down in torment. And there's so much truth in that word because essentially every place that we have tried to walk it out in our own, it has been torment for us. 
That's why when he says, be silent, and Psalm 46, um, stop your striving, you will see that I'm God. I am the God above all nations, and I will be exalted throughout the whole earth. Part of the thing that we have to surrender, it's not just our will. It's our, we have to surrender our commitment to living in fear and commitment to living in anxiety. We have to surrender the places in us where we want to somehow make something happen for us or that we believe that if we do all of these things that we fight and claw and press, that we're going to get somewhere because a lot, so much of what God's doing, I believe in this era is number one, suddenly is like firecrackers are going off. I, my wife and I have been talking to friends this weekend who have, have had like, they're experiencing like crazy, crazy favor, meeting all the right people at the right time. And it's like, bam, things are exploding. Every one of these people has, including us, has a long backstory. And God isn't wasting anything in the backstory, but we, we have one, right? As for some of us, the longer the backstory, the greater the responsibility or the thing that we're actually being entrusted with. And so um, I think the thing that God is, with the realm that we're living in today is the realm of the impossible. That God is orchestrating things so that the only one that can bring the result or the answer is him. And the only ones that are going to get it and step into it are the ones who are connected in, you know, prophetically and in intercession and, and literally just being connected to what God is doing. Holy Spirit and living that unscripted life with him. I think for those that are willing to go there, we are gonna really see mighty exploits and unusual miracles and power that is unprecedented. But we have to come into a place where we actually know who we are and who we carry inside of us. We like being the idea of being a walking habitation and a walking revival, because that is true. But we also like ways to earn things. If you feel shame or condemnation at anything that you're engaged with, that's your indication that you're striving. I mean, it truly is. Because anything we do to live apart from him, and let's face it, I mean, in the course of a day, I could be in one place, one point, one point, another place at another point. And it's like, but I'm always coming back to the place of, okay, I'm going to let go and I'm going to surrender my anxiety. I'm going to surrender my plan and my agenda and I'm going to tap into heaven. I don't want to lie down in torment and torment is the only thing that religion can offer. It's the only thing that religion delivers is torment as people try to work their way to getting more of the God who is already inside of us. Everything you have need of is inside of you right now. You cannot have the fullness of the kingdom. It's either I have the fullness of the kingdom inside of me or I don't have anything. There's nothing in between. I don't have a little, G, little bit of kingdom or a little bit of Jesus. I've got the whole person inside of me. And he wants to function through you and me as he wants to function through us as us united to him. He wants the unique expression that only you can bring. He wants to live that expression out 
in you. And because we know that what people are drawn to when they're drawn to us, they're not drawn to our magnanimous personalities. They're drawn to the hope and the Jesus that is in us. There is no way that we can go anywhere without everything around us changing. And I'm waiting for a movie to be made that literally would show what it looks like when the light that just billows out of us and what it does as it touches everything along the way. When we walk into a room, what happens when that fragrance of Christ just billows forward and it permeates the room? I would love to have a movie that actually highlighted what actually is going on because we don't really know how much has exactly happened when we just show up. And 99% of the whole walk in living in this unscripted life is just to show up. If you show up, things are going to happen. If you show up, it's going to blow up. Oh, I think I'm a rapper now. Just kidding. But showing up is what we have to do. Follow Holy Spirit and show up. The rest is always up to him. I don't have to create it. I don't have to contrive it. I don't have to whip it up. I don't have to do anything to make anything happen. All I have to do is to cease striving and know that he is God. And when I know that he's God and I know that he's good, then I'm, then I'm not afraid of any particular outcome that comes my way. Everything that happens becomes part of my conversation with Holy Spirit. I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim of bad circumstance. Every situation that comes up in my life and your life is an opportunity for me to ask the Father, what are you doing? How would you like me to respond to this? In that place, we're not a victim, we're sons and daughters. The orphan response is to blame God and say, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? But the son and the daughter response sees the challenge of whatever it is, finances, health, lay it all out, right? As an opportunity to see God move. And that's when we know that we're actually on the offensive where we, where we are. Like, in other words, that's where we know that we are literally living from a place of victory, not a place of defeat. We don't have an enemy that has all power. We have a Jesus who has all power that is inside of us. And that's who we are living through. That's what we do. That's what we release everywhere that we go. We fight from a place of already winning. And it's not really... You know, for the most part, it's not so much of a fight if we even just see striving in that. There's a place in here for us to really, like, dig deep. So I don't, not, I don't, not dig deep. I don't want to use another word that has something to do with us doing something. There's a place in here for us to realize what's inside of us. That if your body needs healing, your, your being is intertwined with Holy Spirit. He's already inside of you. And we're going to release what's in us to actually do what it does in our body. That's all we're doing. Every miracle, every habitation, everything for to begin a revival, to start up, get a flame going, is all in us. And when we come into the place where we actually know who we are in union with Christ, we're going to see tremendous things happen. 
And when we know that, then we're not waiting on somebody else to give us something that's theirs and to put what they have on us. I love going into the impartation lines, don't get me wrong. But my point is that in this place that we're living in, this era, we're going to have to know how to function differently where I don't have to have somebody do something for me in order for me to be anointed to do the thing that God has called us to do. And I think the equation is set up divinely for us to live in the realm of the impossible as our norm. And in the realm of the impossible as our norm, we cling to the one who is the God of the impossible. We cling to him and we follow him and we we live and move and have our being in him. That's the whole, that's the simplicity of it all, is what does it mean for me to live, move, and have my being in him who's in me? All right, I'll leave it at that, as they say on Dalton Abbey. All right.